Diving right in today. No foreplay. Chris Tanev gets traded. What will the Leafs do now? The right shot defenseman from the Calgary Flames, the 34-year-old. Pending free agent, by the way. Was traded last night. I was alerted to my insider. My 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 version of I don't set alerts on Twitter. My alerts are Armin DMing me. His that's that's my alerts. It's like, all right, here we go. And then Nick is my alerts for like a day later. Nick is like my dad who sends me uh like things from two weeks ago. I'm like, nice. Yeah, I just I saw this too. <laughs> I get I get Nick's position too because I am like that because I'm not on TikTok. So when I send reels to people. And they're like, yeah, I saw this on TikTok two months ago. That's basically uh, how it is. It's Armin's my TikTok. Nick is my Instagram friend where, yeah, he's a week behind the trends. But all right, Tanev, he's on the move. And my initial reaction, relief. Relief. There's no question that he was the best option for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He was. He was the best option. Right shot D, plays a heavy style playoff kind of competitor, guy who's going to block shots, can move a puck, can play in front of the net, just tenacious guy, would have loved him on the team, honestly, was a really, really good fit. Always hated the price. Always hated the price. I just don't think that the Leafs are in a position anymore, given the nature of their cupboards, to be shelling out first-round picks for guys who don't have any term, guys who are 34 years old, guys who have you know, a history of injury. The reason that I think in part anyways, Calgary always wanted to move off this guy quickly was that Tanev gets hurt. He plays a style that's conducive to getting hurt. They get a second round pick, they get a conditional third, and they get a prospect. And I don't know anything about the prospect, right? Like I try to do a little bit of reading, but it's just, it's, he's whatever. He's a nameless, faceless. I'm sure the Leafs could have topped this offer, but it would have involved their first round pick and possibly a little bit more. I don't think that that grades out to what Toronto's pick was. And if you were listening yesterday when I had Jason Buchel on, you know, 20 years as a scout, he was saying that, yeah, teams are sort of looking for having a, a first and a second and t- trying to have two in this draft. Trying to have two because you want a bunch of swings because it doesn't seem like there's a lot of high upside players, but there's a decent amount of uh, lower floor. or Yeah, lower floor players. But I just, uh, it never felt good to me. I, don't, I didn't want to pay a first-round pick plus for 30 games of a defenseman. And people kept making the argument to me, well, one, how are you going to do better? What's your solution? I'll get to that in a second. But two was always, well, he's going to resign on the cheap. He's definitely going to resign. Says who? who? Who are these people? Like Mark Giordano, when he resigned on the cheap, was at the very end of his career. I think he was 38 years old. Jason Spezza, same thing. Jason was just about out of the, out of the league when he arrived in Toronto. I remember when when Babcock sat him that first game, my initial thought was, yeah, didn't you? He got sat in the playoffs the year before. I didn't kind of understand it. And I think he was also 37 or 38. Those are two of the oldest players in the NHL returning home. Chris Tanev still got he's still got my, he's still got miles to go. 
People would have thought the same thing. Remember Ryan O'Reilly trade? Oh, well, he's probably not just a rental because if you want to re-sign him, you can. Oh, it turns out he didn't like playing here. Turns out that he was wanting to be mm, anywhere but here, essentially. Luke Shen, same thing. Oh, Luke Shen was drafted here. Surely he'll re-sign on the cheap. No, he's gone. That was the third round pick. Ryan O'Reilly, a little bit more expensive. Worth it for that run because it felt far more desperate. It doesn't feel as desperate for me with this Maple Leafs group. If you're going to be moving your top-tier assets, which you have very limited amounts of, right? The Leafs have... I just need people to know this. With the Jake McCabe trade, that was a far-down-the-line type of deal. They also had to give up a second-round pick to get off of the Nick Ritchie contract and bring in Ilya Labushkin as a rental for a season. The next three drafts, the Leafs have two picks... In the first two rounds, two, a first this year and then a first in 2026. Like that's what they're looking at. They don't have much. We just had books t- telling us that they don't have any prospects either. They got one guy who's a stud in Easton Cowan that they, they nailed that pick. Just absolutely nailed it. Nobody saw it coming. The Leafs did. Wes Clark saw it coming. And then they turned this guy into someone that's valued at around a top six pick in this year's draft. Incredible work by this organization. They've got Fraser Minton, who's on Team Canada, who's their captain. Looks like he's going to be a solid two-way center. Maybe he's a little bit sooner rather than later, but not a doesn't project to be a top six guy. He's a middle six guy. That's nice. Everything else is kind of a hodgepodge of maybes and could bes and depth guys. That's the organization right now. And yeah, they're in a winning window. I totally agree. I totally agree. But they got to be super diligent with the assets. And if something becomes available, right? Somebody with term, and you've got to package a couple of these pieces together, you only have so much. So for the Leafs, I think that this one's a bit of a blessing, even though now it does ramp up the pressure on the front office because they got to find somebody there. They got to put somebody on this roster that's right-handed and that can play with Morgan Riley because we saw it on Tuesday night. It's pretty ugly or it can get pretty ugly very quickly. These deep pairings. Anyways, the return, the return of my friend and yours, one of the most popular guys on this program, uh, Christopher Steak, two-time Stanley Cup champion and creator of the clever app. What's up, brother? How we doing? So my cat is already sitting here. Let me know if he's bugging oh, yeah. us too much during this great conversation. No. It's going to be great. Oh, it's going to be great. Okay. What kind of cat do you have? I believe it's a British short hair. I am not a... Uh, oh, you believe. Not I, like, you like, I, be- I believe yeah, it's a British short hair. That's I, was so a, I was a dog guy prior to Dude. this, and now then I got a cat because I, I didn't want a three-year-old for 15 years. You yeah. know? So we went with the cat this time. Yeah. Listen, I like cats. I got a controversial... I, I, like, I'm a way more dogs over cats. Listen, okay? Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, I live in the city and I'm busy. And the dog is a commitment. Dog is a commitment. Cat, you can just you just leave. <laughs> you can just so leave. A, do- a dog's a three-year-old that you, gotta, that you can't travel with for yeah. 15 years, right? It's- so I'm not a cat lover in the set. Like, I like a cat. A cat chooses you. That's a great feeling. But you know what I do like? I met... A Maine Coon. Have you ever met those cats? Have you ever seen those cats? Are they like little tigers? No, they're the massive cats with like the lynxing, the lynx ears. They rule. I want one of those so bad. But the thing is, I'm a single guy in the city. I don't know how that's going to go over. You know, you bring a a lady over and you're the guy who has the 25-pound cat. It just, I don't know. I don't know how that plays. I don't think well. 
And that thing will eat you too. Yeah, oh yeah. The second you die, it's yeah. in your face. You're <laughs> gone. Yeah. It's like, so they, they actually have studies of this. A dog will wait. A dog will like wait until it's starving before it eats you. A cat is like, it's, I think, you know, when it kind of paws into you a little bit when you're sleeping, I think that's just it checking. I think that's yeah. just being like, Hey, you live or can I eat you yet? Is it yeah. time? If you lost your breath for 30 seconds with a mate <laughs> yeah, in your leg, yeah, 100%. Okay, so where we got to start this, though, is that you're a curse. You always love blaming Leaf fans. You're like, oh, they got to get up out of their seat. They're not good enough fans. Boo-hoo, boo-hoo. And here you are, 0-5 at Leaf games and just a, an actual, you know, black cloud over the organization. Well, I mean, they'd won seven in a row. Yeah. Haven't been around. Yeah, I know. Go up. And, yeah, it was. It wasn't even close either. So 0-5 going to Leaf games this year. I'm a little bit worried the next time I walk in if I'll even be allowed into the building. But uh, talking to you yesterday, you basically said I'm banned. You're banned for playoffs for sure. You can go to regular season games. And this is the difficult part is I I think your boys, they're Leaf fans now, right? As as much as that would hurt you as a Western Canadian deep down because there's a part of you. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's got to hurt you seeing that where – they they probably who's their favorite? Mitch Marner? Well, Marner, Tavares, and Matthews, but my little guy loves Matthews. Yeah. Like okay. love and, and wears his leaf stuff everywhere. That's yeah, what I mean. my old man came out and he looked at him. Oh yeah. <laughs> he rattled. Rattled. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Oh man, I loved your post with your dad bringing him to practice and you asked him for the advice. Pucks in deep. Great. Love it. Well then then I brought him on the bench one game and my kid wasn't playing great. And I told him to take a seat. My dad's like, no, you're not benching him. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're lucky grandpa's here on yeah. the bench. Love that. Absolutely love that. Just as, as if he would have ever done that for you. Yeah. I, I got fat every game. That's what him. I'm saying. <laughs> immediately sit zone. But okay. So you got, you got to be able to go to games because the boys got to go see their team. You know, like yeah. that's, that's it. They just have to be there. But playoffs, I don't know. It's just, yeah. I'll be going again. I'll be going again, and we will really see if my presence in that building is a curse. But we have one more game with my boys I'm going to go to, so I'll let you know. Well, here's the thing. I, we got to find something on the schedule here where the Leafs play just an absolute bum squad. Uh, because Anaheim's gone, right? Yeah, Anaheim's done. That's Yeah, I like that's where your head went first is well, because they're horrible. Uh, I don't know how that coach is still there either, but let's let's not talk about Anaheim. Yeah. Uh, there are some horrific teams this year, but the Anaheim thing is especially bothersome because they're supposed to every year. It's always, they get hyped up as the team with all the young guns. It's supposed to be fun, but no, I, I actually had, uh, I, because there was nothing else on and I just had it on as background. Cause I have the, you know, center ice package, but I had, uh, San Jose and the devils on the other night, just as I was going to bed and it was just on TV. And I think San Jose gave up like seven goals in the third period. <laughs> Their coach called a timeout with 10 minutes left. Cause they let in like five in a row. And I went, oh, this is just, this has got to be the worst thing to do uh, as a professional. San Jose is an AHL club, though. Yeah. Anaheim actually has pieces. They're just, they're terribly coached. That's the problem. Mm. All right. Well, actually, let's start with this then. Do you think that the Leafs are starting to get better coaching just in terms of what they, like the way that they're deploying the roster? Because you and I have been waiting for this all season long, just trying to find a way to get more depth amongst the lines. Well, you, first off, exact, that's exactly right. I like what Keith's doing. This is what we've been asking him to do for five years now. Mm-hmm. Six years. Get all the guys involved. Get your secondary offense guys involved. If you have to move a guy like Tavares off the PP to get a guy like Bertuzzi engaged, maybe get that secondary PP more minutes. That gets a guy like Domi and extra offensive guys more engaged. 
These are things you need to do to win a Stanley Cup. If you're just going to hedge on your top guys to go play two minutes, 25 minutes, you might win a round. Mm-hmm. You might win two rounds in the playoffs because this is what it's all about, the playoffs. You might win two rounds, but you can't hedge that your stars are going to go off and have all these goals and points and light up the power play four rounds in a row. You need other guys to be empowered to bring their best, create offense, feel good about themselves, handle the puck. Because if you think about it as a secondary offensive guy, if you're not touching the puck on the PP, if you're playing 10 to 12 minutes a night, five on five, you might not even get good access to the puck to have it on your stick for a good amount of time anyways. Mm -hmm. So having that balance, seeing what he's done to deploy the lines, change up the lines. I still would like Domi to move down, maybe camp to move up into that second hole, Domi to move to the wing. Or, again, try to bring in a 3C that can help pump uh, Tavares maybe back up or back down. You can get creative with that type of stuff. But I like the balance of the lines better. It's harder on stars, though, when they're playing less minutes. But as a coach, you just have to be up front. This is what we need to win a Stanley Cup. Tavares, you're going to go down to the third line. You're going to play 14, 15 minutes. These are big minutes where we need you. You're on the second PP now. This is the power play we need you to carry. These are things that they're going to need to sacrifice in order to make this team win. And I've, I've really liked what Keith's done over that stretch. So I had Dan Bilesman about a week and a half ago, and he coached Bertuzzi for three seasons when he was in Detroit as an assistant. And I was asking him about him, and he basically brought up that he's, he's a big-time uh, feel good, play good guy, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I love that they just found this Domi thing with him because Domi, he and Domi seem to get along and, you know, we've, we've got some clips now, the two of them hanging out together. But on the ice, I actually feel like having Domi a little bit more involved and his personality gets to come out a little bit more. His attitude seems to have been a little infectious on the line with Nylander and with Bertuzzi. He's a setup man for yeah. both guys that score in different areas. I, I actually think that line works as long as you can accept, you know, they get pinned in their own end and you've got Max Domi out there trying to get a puck out. I, I like, I don't think yeah. I've ever seen a leaf lose more board battles or turn more pucks over. Like it, it's, it's tough, but the offense yeah, I, and the full, it, it's been, it's been better with those guys. It, it looks good with those guys. There's something to it. Like there's a, there's a synergy I there. Agree. I agree there's a synergy, but if you're looking at playoff matchups yeah, and if you're looking at that, that so you're 2C, but if you're going to get other teams, they're going to throw their first line out in away games against Max. They're going to try to really challenge that top line or that line mm-hmm. with their top offensive guys because they're going to have their 3C, three, their three a top team like a boss, and they'll have Coyle then come back out against Matthews, which leads to Bears trying to score goals against their third or second line. So I just look at going into the playoffs. I would rather have Max on the wing. I'm yeah. not saying he can't, he can't slot in and play center at times when the team's down in a game and they need offense. But to start the game, I would really like to see it going forward after mm-hmm. the trade deadline, if they could bring in a guy that could help solidify the center hole, that could move Max to the wing. And then again, you could keep Bertuzzi and Max together. Max can play as offside and as a natural setup man, mm-hmm. coming in on your offside is a lot easier to enter the zone and make plays from. So, um, and then it gets more creative where you can put Willie Nylander. Maybe he goes down to the third line and has to carry it. Now it's not quite technically a third line, but now you have a mo- lot more balance and you have guys that can create offense against the other team's line. And you don't have to worry defensively in a playoff matchup when that's what I, if I look at 
least matchup right now or their lineup, mm-hmm. if I'm a coach, I'm hammering my top offensive guys against that Domi line, mm-hmm. just strictly on playoff matchup. That's not saying Max can't handle it or those guys. No, but I get it. Yeah, I, that's I, how I look at it. If you're trying to win a playoff round and how much more coaching goes into the playoffs, how much more tactics, every shift matters, every face-off matters. So all in all, all in all, what he's done so far, Keith, over that seven-game stretch when Riley gets hurt, guys get sick, forces him to play more guys and realize, hey, actually, mm. these guys could play in the NHL too. Yeah, yeah, no, no. We've been telling you that the whole yeah. time. But now he's doing it. And, and I hope he doesn't go back to his old habits. Same. Which is a possibility. Yep. I hope he doesn't go back because what's going on right now, the guys feel good about themselves. Everyone feels involved. And then what it does is it bleeds into the room, the morale. Like I heard you talking about, you know, the guys posting on Instagram or having fun with each other and it's great. And yeah, you can do that when you're winning, but that's the type of morale you need all the time. You need that type all the time. So if it goes back to old habits, that stuff goes away. So that's why I weirdly think tonight matters. Like, it's an Arizona team that, for whatever weird reason, has a lot of success when they come to Toronto. And if I'm them, you just don't want to have a weird egg laying or a weird bad beat tonight after seven games and all of a sudden you're looking at two losses in a row and then it's the Rangers and then Boston. And it's a, it's a tough schedule ahead. I just I feel like they got to keep the, the good vibes going here, buckle down, get a good win, and stay connected to that winning streak. You know, don't, don't have it be as soon as you came home, all of a sudden things started to fall apart and then you're doubting it. But, you know, what you talked about there, how they got other guys going, I, I, I give credit to Keith because he stuck with it and he, he didn't mess with the lines and he hasn't so far gone back to the thing because things have been working. So I'm afraid of the same tendencies that you are. But part of it is that, he fell into it with Tavares's illness or whatever is going on with him. Um, you know, you were there Tuesday night. He's on the ice. He makes a terrible play um, for what ended up kind of being the backbreaker goal, the third one, at the, just yeah. to close a period. Uh, no hard rim out. Um, decides to try to – I don't even really know what he was thinking, but the puck ends up in the back of the Leafs net. It ends up on Carlson's stick. He, he rips one between the five hole. It's 3-1, and the, the Leafs basically get put to bed. Um, he – he never really shows a ton of frustration. He's down on that third line. They are finding creative ways to get him up with Marner and Matthews at times when there's offensive zone draws, but he's off power play one. Do you, did you see anything with him when you were there where you thought, hey, maybe he's not 100% still, maybe he's kind of fighting it? Um, like, how, how, how are you supposed to interpret how he feels, even if it is in the goal of trying to win, about being taken off of a power play when this is someone where – his entire career, he's been a point-of-game player and a guy who produces on power plays. Yeah, I don't know if it's illness. I don't Like you said, if he missed a game or... It was a while ago now, battling. though. Yeah. yeah, but that's a while ago. I, I see it. What did we talk about when it would have been my last show four weeks ago? I still think it's a lack of confidence issue mm. a bit. I, and then you get moved down to the third line. You get taken off the first power play unit. That is very big. If it is a lack of confidence issue, it is very big for the coaching staff to keep bumping or, like you said, putting them into good situations to score, bumping them up the lineup throughout the game, getting them out after PKs if he's needed, stuff like that to make him feel important, and then also make him feel now more important in his role that's lower down the lineup. So I still see more of a lack of confidence at the moment than maybe injury or illness. I could be wrong, but that's 
just seeing it in his game, just whipping the puck up the board, stuff like that, where maybe in those situations, he's one of the most patient players around. He, you couldn't be, you couldn't not skate like him and have his career if you didn't have the patience and the confidence to make plays in all situations all over the ice. Because like I said, he's not the best skater. Mm-hmm. But that play where he just whips it up the boards, to me, is a bit of a panic play. It's a bit of a lack of confidence issue. And I'm not worried about him. I still think his game will come. Maybe he's setting into the new role at lower minutes because he's usually used to 19 minutes. Now it looks like he's at 14, 15 at times. Mm-hmm. That's a big minute hop down that you need to find your offensive game. And it is very hard to create offense consistently at 14, 15 minutes. But if that's what you're asked to do, that's a whole new game for him. You're not going to get the puck on the power play. You're not going to feel your touches on PP1 all the time. Then all of a sudden you get on PP2. If you're only out there for 30 seconds, 40 seconds, usually you're just trying to come in off the rush. It's, It's harder to do it. It's not that it can't be done. But I just see Tavares being a lack of confidence. Now, maybe others know more than I do, but that's what I see. Yeah. No, it's interesting because he, you mentioned the skating. It's why I always thought his game would age really well. Like, uh, well, what he's going to get older, sure, and maybe he loses a little bit of a step. And some guys, it goes that way where they are already not fast, so when they lose a little bit extra, it becomes glaring. But with him, I, I don't see some drop-off in terms of what he looks like as a player from a physical standpoint well, or from a speed standpoint. So I think that's a fair, uh, at least theory to have, that it's a guy who is who's struggling maybe a little bit mentally with where he is going to be as a player soon, right? This is, again, he's been a, since what? How long have we known about John Tavares here in this city? Well, it was like John Ferguson right Jr. When I came in that's, the but, league, but, but you that, guys know that's it. longer. But, that, yeah. but John Ferguson Jr. was trying to get him to sign a weird contract with the Marlies when he was like 16 years old and get him into the pipeline. And people applauded him. It was like his best move as GM was just making that attempt. But yeah, people have, have known about him as a stud since he was 15 years old in the GTA. And now yeah. he's, you know, entering his mid-30s. And we're starting to, yeah, maybe he's just starting to have doubts. Maybe he's starting to wonder. He's like, oh, man, I've had the confidence all along. I've... I've been able to persevere through this, but all of a sudden they're taking me off the power play and all of a sudden I'm down on the third line. And like, maybe it is like contracts. Yeah. Contracts coming up. If you don't have your same point totals, is there more money at stake? Is there, you know, there's a lot of things and and he's a professional and he's going to play through it, but there's a lot of things that come into it, especially during the regular season, which personally I've been through. It is hard to put it in the back of your mind when you have to take a lesser role, um, you're not going to be in those situations. You know then it's going to hurt your contract, but you have to do it for the team. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to do that during the regular season. It's very easy to do that during the playoffs. It's almost like all that goes away once you get to the playoffs. You're like, okay, now I'm ready for the role. Or now I'm ready and, and your confidence all of a sudden comes back. So maybe it's a little bit like that. There's outside noise. People asking why he's not scoring, why he's on the third line. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that go into it. Now, I've never been in this situation, but I have been asked for lesser roles going into, you know, going into playoff runs on contract years and stuff like that. So there's a lot that goes into it psychologically. But when you get to the playoffs, it's almost like, boom, I'm, I'm, I don't care if I got to play fourth line or three minutes, I'm going to mm-hmm. block it with my face. So, Hopefully, hopefully um, that's not the case, but it, it could be as well. Well, here's the thing, though, and I've been workshopping this because there is kind of some clean way of saying it, but I, it, 
when Tavares first came here, he was supposed to be the savior, right? The yeah. everybody get on my back. We're going to go win a Stanley Cup. I'm going to carry all the young guys. And now it, it really seems to me that his legacy is going to be dependent on how much he sacrifices. Is yeah. he going to be willing to move to the wing at some point? Can he accept happily and dominate a third line center role or lose those minutes on a power play or lose those, you know, four minutes of ice time, which is significant. Like you just outlined, that's a lot of ice that you'd be losing. Can you sacrifice on the contract, right? Shifts. Yeah. Yeah. So if he ends up to me anyways, sacrificing some of the role, dominating in a lesser role, sacrificing some of the money on his next contract, which is still more than a year away. Like it's not this off season. It's the following off season. But if, if he does that, and it allows the Leafs to shore up some other areas, and he's the one that basically takes on all the brunt of the savings that the other three guys wouldn't really give you, then, yeah, I, I think that his legacy in the city is going to be cemented as a great leader, as a great captain, as a beloved figure. Because, yeah, right now I think it's, it's one of, and I'm just saying from an overall standpoint, not that everybody's right, but I, I think a lot of fans feel like it was missed promise at this point. Yeah, if you see him coming in and you see him sign for $11 million, you think right. he's going to get, especially at that time where the cap was at, you thought he was going to score 50 and 100 points. Dude, his first in, season, him and Marner, they dominated. We thought they were the yeah. best line in hockey. Yeah, but again, at $11 million, those mm-hmm. expectations needed to stay year in, year out. Looking at John and just how he plays and the depth of the top, or if you look at Matthews, Matthews is obviously a better player and now you slot Matthews above John if John goes to the 2C which was the next year that also takes situations away from you at times that takes different matchups away from you at times if Matthews is now scoring now all of a sudden you're not relied upon as much at times so there's a, like you know John comes here he gets put in the, obviously the 2C hole at a later date and you know he starts to age so you as a city expected 50 goals 100 points every year that's not what you're going to get from him but what he's giving you has been incredible. And what he does continue to give you and the value he's going to add going into a playoff run is going to be substantial because if you look at the stars, he's going to be the one of the four that will have to really sacrifice in order to make it happen and go down to a lesser role. I, I hope maybe at one point they do move Nylander down, like I said, do a three line to carry that throughout the playoffs or a minor down to the third line to carry them throughout the playoffs. But that will take sacrifice and something that they've really never been asked. That's kind of what they're doing now, though, with these three. Is that, yeah. That's why I like it. It's like, to me, it's you've got three lines. And it's the way that I I think it works as of now. I think you make some really good points about Domi in the playoff series and how that's going to look versus, like, it, let's say they drew John Cooper and they, they play the Lightning again. I'm like, man, I would be nervous about the way John Cooper is going to try to take advantage of them, especially when they're playing games in Tampa. But overall... Yeah. Like, from what I've seen on this streak, the the biggest point of impact outside of just their stars dominating, which is, uh, you know, the the key to this team and the power play click, and it was something close to, like, 50% uh, during the winning streak. It was, like, 48% on the power play, which is, yeah, you're going to have a lot of success when uh, guys are clicking like that. But it's been, yeah, just getting to see a proof of concept of depth and guys in different roles and three different scoring lines that can take advantage of some other teams uh, weaknesses down their lineup. Uh, okay. So you got any more Leafs thoughts that you want to get off or can I move to some, some other things you move where you like. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you were supposed to come on after Kane night. Uh, mm-hmm. I was like pretty specific that I was like, you know, that's your guy. 
You love he's him. He's my guy. Yeah, I yeah. know. You love the guy. Uh, he's like, you know, a lot of players who played with Sidney Crosby, they're always like, they have got that bit, right? Thanks, Sid. Because yep. they all got paid. You're, that's you, but with Kane. Well, I call my, I said I call my two Stanley Cup rings, Kane and Taze. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, uh, so you get it. That was one of the, that was such a cool night for hockey. I like the, for everything, just everything was so perfectly done. It was, I, I, the kids like to say it was a movie and that really was, that was a movie. Yep. That was a movie that night for hockey. Incredible, incredible, incredible stuff, but it did. Okay. So Chelios gives him the, you're the best U S born player Ooh. thing. Right. And yeah. that carries a lot of weight. And I don't think anybody would fight that right now. As of today, if you're trying to fight it, it's pretty crazy. Um, that's more a sign of just the times in terms of the way that we move things quickly along. That being said, Matthews might score 70 goals this year. And uh, there's a lot of, hey, this guy might actually be the greatest goal scorer of all time. Buzz already. Uh, Ovechkin struggling again. I don't know. I don't know if I was going to hit the the Gretzky number. By the way, like it's starting to get that, right. that team stinks. He can't be when he's on the ice. It's dash dash dash. But anyway, yeah. um, he's going to have to work out in the off season again. Oof, yeah, like it's not. You can't just go get whatever the cocktail is over in Russia. It's got to be more. It's got to be more yeah. than that. Um, but do you think it? Okay, I, I brought this up with you before. I know it pissed off your Blackhawks teams that the Leafs, as soon as they put the young talent together, it was immediately, hey, these guys are the new Blackhawks, right? Because it's not just you have talked to about this. Like, it's been Sharp has come on this pod and mentioned it and was, like, making fun of them when it first happened. Like, there's been other guys that noticed the comparisons and were a little put off by the fact that they had won a bunch and succeeded a bunch, and then their guys got paid after all the success versus the Leafs, the way that their model worked. But... Do you think that there's like a little bit of an added piss off for Kane that, yeah, he's, he's gets dubbed the greatest American born player. And we're almost already doing the thing with Matthews of, well, he's from, not for long. Now it, it's, it's not shocking that we're in Toronto and we're talking like this, but let's go back to Kane night. Just one second. Yeah, sure, yeah. That night, like even before it started, I, I was sitting on the couch. I told my wife, he's going to score the winner. He, he lives for the biggest moments and him coming back to Chicago is a massive moment, especially in Chicago sports history and going into overtime, they tied it up and I told her, look, he's going to score the overtime winner. I swear. And when he got that breakaway pass, I screamed, come on, you know, and I, and then all of a sudden he scores and I cheered and she's like, shut up. You're going to wake the kids. (laughs) You're going to wake the kids. I went nuts, but he is hands down without a doubt. No one's even close. Joe Sackick, I don't care. Wayne Gretzky, and Wayne Gretzky's the best player of all time, no doubt. My, if I haven't said that, he wasn't. My dad would come here and kick me in the face. He is the most clutch player who plays for the biggest moments of all time, and it is not even close. I have played playoff series where he is setting up goals, scoring goals, cup-winning goals. He is so clutch, and he lives for the biggest games, the biggest moments, and there is nobody close to Patrick King. Now we're talking about Matthews. Matthews, without a doubt, will destroy the goal-scoring record for American-born players. Mm -hmm. And I love Matthews. He's my top three favorite players in the league. I, I love him. Obviously, my kid loves him. Love watching him, everything he does. I am still a true believer you have to win a Stanley Cup to be of dubbed the greatest. Of course. To be dubbed the greatest, whether it's Canadian, American, Slovakian, whatever it is. 
you have to win a championship because playing hockey in the playoffs is the ultimate. You have to come through when it matters the most and you need a championship. So maybe in 10 years, if Matthews gets that championship, 100%, I would for sure say he'd probably be the, mo- the greatest player of all time based on stats and goals and whatever it may be. But because he is the most clutch player and he comes through in the playoffs year after year and in big moments, game after game, without a doubt, Patrick Kane is the greatest. And, and, and I hope this drives Matthews to win a Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. I hope this is what he understands is needed from him for his legacy. Because legacy for these players is everything, and Patrick Kane has cemented his legacy. But he is, without a doubt again, the most clutch player of all time. He is the best American-born player. And, again, I call my first-ring Kane, or second-ring Kane, first-ring Pays. But mm-hmm. without both of those guys and how they play in the playoffs, none of that would have been possible. And that is what Matthews will need to do forever to, in order to be dubbed the greatest American player of all time over Patrick Kane. No question. And, you know, you talk about Patty Kane being the most clutch guy. Matthews in four game seven so far has one assist and he's a dash three. So, or sorry, he has two assists and he's a dash three. No yeah, goals. I can go through so many moments, like overtime yeah. gold Minnesota game four to end it. Game, game six goal Stanley Cup finals. Sets up Seabrook game seven against Nashville to score the game winner in game seven. Like you could just go through so many big goals. Scores a shorthanded goal when we're down 3-2 with 30 seconds left against Nashville to go up 3-2 instead of going down 3-2. We go back to Nashville, he gets another goal in game six. Like it's just wild. It's wild what he does in the playoffs, and I judge so much off the playoffs. Yeah, of course. I judge so much just because I know how hard it is to win, and I've seen the best players play the biggest in the biggest moments. I, I know I'm, I'm pumping Kaner up, but I just – it's crazy. Again, game two scores the game-clinching goal, game six, sorry, the second goal against Tampa Bay in game six to win the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. Just it's, – it's mind-blowing. He also set up the game winner that game, assisted. He's got two points on two cup-winning goals. Mm-hmm. Or three, I think. Two or three. It's it's crazy what he's done. So yeah, you're you're right. That's what Matthews will need to do. He has the ability. I just I would love to see him do it. Totally agree. Um it's a conversation for when Matthews wins. He certainly at least needs more playoff success than one playoff round. He's got a long career that's gonna be ahead of him. I just think it was funny that uh, they we had this comparison between Leafs and Kane or uh, yeah Leafs and Hawks, and then basically a couple of years later, once there was some real separation from it, we're we're back. You know, we're back before Kane's yeah, and, career. And I remember that too because it was when those guys came in in 2015, and then mm-hmm. Matthews drafted 2016, and the Hawks kind of finished their dynasty. And it's mm-hmm. like, wow, we got Marner, who's like Kane, and mm-hmm. Matthews, who's a bit like Taze, but. You know, and then they start to look at the defense. Is Morgan Riley, Duncan Keith? I'm like, mm-hmm. Duncan Keith's the Hall of Famer. Like, mm-hmm. one of the best defensemen of all time to yeah. ever play the game. And then you had Brian Campbell and Brent Seabrook. And then our third line had, like, Andrew Ladd and Dustin Bufflin. Like, these, like the, the lineup was loaded. So we always kind of laughed at it. But they did have the pieces to do it. It's just they had to build underneath those guys. And then when they took all the salary on, it made it impossible. Yeah. Um, and here's the thing. It, it's just like the greatest players win. Um, it's, yeah. it's just, it's the, like you go through the history of hockey and I mention this all the time, but I, I think that the best two players who never won were Marcel Dion and Eric Lindros. 
Like those are the two at their very peak top guys go through it historically. Everybody else, they ended up winning Ovechkin. That was why it was so huge for him and him and Sidney Crosby getting theirs like during the cap era really makes things tougher for a lot of these guys yeah. too. The the big one in terms of the shift for the way we view hockey in terms of the all-time greats, I think, is going to be what happens with McDavid's career. I think he's going to win, but I've been watching more Oilers games lately and they are back to just, ooh, they're kind of sh- – thank God for Zach Hyman. Uh, what, a player. They, they, what a player. He's so, so good. Uh, it's yeah. infuriating because the Leafs decided that they would rather pay Nick Ritchie and Alex Kerfoot than give him a contract that year. Thanks, Dubas. That was a great one. That was a really good decision. Um, they thought he was done after that knee injury. Yeah, they thought that it was the contract wasn't going to be all right, that it was going to really fall apart. And now it's like he's been so good already through the first three years of the deal that it's like, who even cares about the rest? He's no. there. He's their heartbeat. Uh, It hurts me. Anyway, uh, it's awful. But that Oilers team, all of a sudden, they're not getting saves the same way. They were just... I watched the game last night. It was white knuckle against the Mm -hmm. Blues, and it's been a lot of that lately from them. But anyways, if he doesn't end up winning... They can't trust Skinner. They can't trust Skinner. But they can't trust so much of that team. Like, they need more depth. It's the same stuff. They went on that winning streak, and they beat a bunch of tomato cans, and everyone went, oh, my God, they're incredible because they were getting some stops. But ultimately, the roster still feels flawed incomplete and it's a, it's just a lot of McDavid but he's so incredible like every every single time I like all I want to do is watch him play hockey because he's so different from everybody else but if he was to not win which I think is at least on the table like I think he'll win but it's there's a possibility he goes throughout his career he doesn't get it done during his prime you know years go by and I yeah. I don't know about them this year because again I don't trust the goalie in the playoffs and I, I don't think they're they're it if he was to not win a Stanley Cup, then it would just change everything in terms of all of the future conversations of sports and the all-time greats because you'd be able to point to him and go, well, he didn't. And so you go, yeah, I guess. Uh, well, it's, Dan, it's a Dan Marino thing, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It'd, be, it'd be very close to that. And I think that's why Dan's never been able to right. be considered a top three quarterback. But I picked the Oilers to win this year. I'm standing by it. Mm. They need They need another uh, centerman at the lower depth. They mm-hmm. need another defenseman. I know they're talking during the winning streak. Ah, oh, there's six D men love each other. So what go out and get another better D they need another better D men. And they need another goalie that can go in when Skinner's not good. And Skinner is a good one B, mm-hmm. but he ain't a one eight. So yeah, that those talks are going to get more complicated as you know, more teams start to enter the league over the next decade. Uh, the cap era, like you said, it's harder to win in the cap era, and a lot of better players in today's game won't end up winning Stanley Cups due to just the amount of teams. So, yeah, those those conversations will end up starting to change. But for the most part, mm-hmm. people want the championship. Yeah, they need it. Anoint the greatest of yeah. the greats. No question. No question. All right, quickly, though, before you go. Um, one is you played with Yager in Calgary because he played with everybody because he played forever. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you get to know him a little bit? you have a Yager story? Yeah, I had hip surgery, and he was hurt with his knee at that time, and that's when they had the the potatoes on the knees and everything. And I remember I got to the rink at like 8 a.m. for for rehab, and then I go in there, and he's sitting on the squat rack, and he's doing single legs or on the um, leg press. He's doing single leg leg press with his right leg, Uh and he's just sitting there on his phone, and then an hour goes by, and he's still sitting there, and he's doing the other leg. He literally sat on the leg press, I kid you not, for three hours, and I'm like, how uh-huh. many sets did you do? And he's like, well, I did about 15, 20 sets. But 
it was just, he just sat there on the leg press for three hours. I'm like, is he just like, so for most of us, do we do a workout in two hours and we hit the leg press for 10 minutes? Does he do like 12 hour workouts and just slows it down? And I'm like, wow, this is science. If he has nothing to do all day, except stay at home, he might as well stay in the gym and do a 12 hour workout, which could have took us two hours. So it made, I was like, wow, he's, he's really onto something. No wonder why his longevity holds up because he's not, hammer in his body in two hours he's doing it slowly over 12 hours it was uh it was something to be seen and but getting to know him as a person too just a great guy great teammate and uh someone that you know i loved watching back in the day on all the rock and sockums and his highlights and his goals for pittsburgh and then you know coming into the league and getting to play against him he uh he really is a, uh, he's got an aura around him almost. It's yeah. like a, pre- it's a super, there's like a presence when he walks into the room and all the guys start looking at him when he's on your team. You're like, oh my gosh, that's, that's the armory auger. It was, uh, it was something, I guess, that I'll always remember. And I remember his first game in Calgary, we did actually get a play on the same line. So it was, uh, I got the picture of the game sheet and the lineup and it was a, it was a special moment for me, but to be able to be around him and, um, you know, see that presence was uh, was really neat. See, that's cool. Getting to play on the line with your Armory Auger. That's it. That's yeah. it. That's it. Like I. That's how special a player he is. That is, you know, you had a long career too. You won two Stanley Cups, and it's like you made sure that you kept that game sheet. I, I took I, a picture. Yeah. Kept it. Oh yeah, yeah. That was the that, coolest thing. That's that's what I mean. And I, that was actually the year. Remember, there was like the traveling Yagers that yeah, would traveling Yagers. Yeah, yeah, they would. I forgot about that. That the Calgary fans. Those are good. That's the good thing about Canadian markets. That people get it. You know, the fans, they get it. They're like, we got Yager on our team. We're going to, we're going to dress up like him and have a, have a squad of the boys that, that all follow around uh, and, and watch his games. Yeah. It's something when there's, there's certain, there's only like a, it's a pretty short list of players, right? Where, yep. uh, like you mentioned where you feel, how many years were you into your career at that point? Uh, that was my 11th year. That's what I mean. So in your 11th year, there's nobody that you're getting starstruck or you're like, oh my no. God. And except a guy like that. Where it's like, what well, it happened in my first ever NHL game? I was playing against Calgary, and I yeah. lined up against Jerome Aginla. And yeah. growing up in Southern Alberta, like He's Iggy God. is God. Yeah, like I was 17 yeah. years old yeah. when they went to that championship, like yeah. going nuts, you know, yeah. in 2004. And then I got drafted right after that, but uh, to Boston. But lining up to Iggy, I remember lining up. I'm like, holy. And then he gave me a cross check right off the base off. I'm like, yeah. oh, I better cool. stop. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I better stop, you know, idolizing yeah. this guy or I'm going to wind up dead on the ice. So, but those are the two real times in my life where I was just like, wow, this, this is, um, well, there's probably four or five, but you're right. Like when I saw Wayne Gretzky was yeah. another one. Um, met him in the in the elevator one time, and that was the same thing. I was speechless. And Steve Eiserman's the other, but it is a short list. And the the Aginla run that year too, because we're you know I'm wild. The the best individual run in my life in terms of it was like okay uh, Pronger on the Oilers in terms of just the way he just carried that team. There's been goalies like Jaguar, right? Like the, oh, and all been, the overtime goals by Jelena. Yeah, like, th- that was crazy. But it was just the fact that every series was the same in terms of Aguila was going to dominate, but then he was going to beat someone's ass, right? Like yeah. it was like he's he was doing it all. It was the complete like okay, yeah, going to dominate up in Southern Alberta with yeah. like that type of tough mindset. Yes, of the, he was you know, perfect. The farmers, he was yeah. like he was <laughs> every yeah. farmer had a. Again, like yes. Jersey hanging on their tractor. I know, that's it. Was, it. Yeah. He was it the was perfect rough. player at the perfect time on that perfect run. And always, well, I think it was Leopold that hit that post. 
against Tampa. And the play, it's like, man, God, if that had just well, gone and then in. And Jelena tipped it, and it looked like it was in. Uh, yeah, that was a that was a painful one. I, you know, I never root for the Canadian teams. It's actually usually my biggest fear. Like, don't let another Canadian team win before the Leafs. Like, please, no, no, no. Um, but the that Flames run is the only time where I was like, I love this team too much. I don't know how everybody in Canada wasn't just like completely behind him because it was. It was like depth guys and again dominating, and then him just going in, yeah, kicking the crap yeah, out of somebody. It uh, was awesome. Okay, so before you leave, so what? Explain because again, you are the creator of the Clever app. And we tell people all the time on the show to go and download it and, and go and check it out. But what what is, like, I keep seeing, you know, you're putting in the function of being able to run practices through your AI, and it looks pretty yeah. advanced. Yeah, so Coach Kai's the, the new AI system in our app. So you could go in there, and if you're a new parent to sport, you could ask, it a, you could ask Coach Kai a question about, hey, how do I hold a tennis racket? Or, hey, how do I hold a stick? Or, hey, do you have three drills for inside edge work or outside edge work. So it's a real neat little um, coaching system that's been put into clever. That's going to help give answers to parents that maybe they haven't known before or new, new parents to new sports that can ask coach Kai questions. And then even coaches that can ask questions about, Hey, what's more drills or what are you thinking here? So it's a, it's a real cool little tool that we've added into clever, obviously clever. We've streamlined video coaching with your tablet phone. Um, that's what we do better than anyone. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this new Coach Kai function is a real cool little AI function that you can go in and ask questions. And yeah, it's uh, it's out now and clever. Yeah. So uh, for those interested, it's K L E V R. And uh, yeah, it's available to download for free uh, in wherever you get your apps. Uh, hey, buddy, always great. Thanks for coming on. Yep. You take care. See you, bud. Uh, Chris Versteeg, two time Stanley Cup champion, creator of the Clever app, which again, uh, coaching young kids. Coaching at any level, really. Uh, this thing, yeah, it's very, very popular. Uh, okay, let's take a quick break. Raps lose last night, whatever, no big deal. But my biggest question from that game is not about them. Next. Sportsnet 590, the fan. So the Raps got smoked in the fourth quarter last night. They're competitive throughout. But they just, they, they ran into Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. And Luka just, again, I, I do think Russell Westbrook kind of ruined the triple-double. Like, I don't care about it as much. I, well, to be honest, I never really cared about the triple-double all that much in terms of a stat. But Luka had 30, 16, and 11 last night. His 25th birthday. And then Kyrie scored, I think, 15 in the fourth. Hit, yeah, I'm pretty sure he had 15 points in the fourth and he finished with 30 points. Um, and every time I tune into the Mavericks games, and I, I watched uh, the buzzer beater the other night against Max Struess, where Struess hits it from half court. And the Mavs came back big in that game. I, I, like, I just looking at the box score of it, the Mavs were down, I think, close to 20 points. And they stormed back as, yeah, 20-point leads in the NBA. They ain't what they used to be. The Mavs stormed back, and they lose in a crappy buzzer beater. But they'd lost a couple of games in a row before that. And they're sitting there, and, you know, they're close to 10 games above 500. But they're in the middle of the West. And Luke is young. Young enough where there hasn't been insane playoff pressure. And especially since the first example of that we got of him in the playoffs was pushing the Clippers to the brink where we went, holy crap, this guy might do it on his own. 
And then he had this series against the, the Suns where, again, success buries him. So he's not been a non-factor in the postseason. There's no, he's been awesome. His teams haven't won, and for years they've looked really bereft of talent. They just they haven't had enough. It's been clear, clear, clear. But this Mavericks team, I like. Like, I like the pieces. The Lively kid is an awesome running big. You can see the role. Gafford, those two guys, I like their centers. Kyrie, he's been able to check all of the stuff that made you nervous about Kyrie Irving, or at least most of the stuff that made you nervous about Kyrie Irving. I don't mind some of the gunners that they have coming off the bench. They're probably still missing a 3 and D guy. I liked the addition of P.J. Washington, even though the advanced stats were saying that this is a guy who maybe stinks now. He's been pretty solid for them. You know, their, their team is deep. That's the thing. When I interviewed Dwight Powell, I, I didn't bring it up with him because, you know, we were starting to run a little long with the interview. But he's not getting minutes because they've just got so many players that can do so many different things. And... We've seen a little bit of the Luca criticism of, hey, maybe he's New Harden, right? He's so heliocentric that it doesn't, especially in the world of Jokic, right, where you can compare and contrast him to the guy who is currently the actual best player in the NBA. What does he do best? Well, he elevates everybody around him, but he can also score 30. You need 30, Jokic will get you that, no sweat. Same with Luca. He'll get you the 30. He'll make these beautiful passes. His playmaking is obviously there. He can just, he can whip it. Grange wrote a great piece that's up on sportsnet.ca right now, and he, he used a, a pitching analogy that I really liked because that's the way it does feel with Luca at times, is he's someone who can run up the 99-mile-per-hour fastball but then just break it off. So nasty, too. He's got, he's got five pitches. But we're kind of entering the territory with Luca, where I want to see his team have more success. I want to see them make a deeper run in the postseason, especially a year like this where the West is it's deep. There's some good teams. Like, there's some good teams, but this is, like, the Thunder and the T-Wolves and a super flawed Suns team. They're kind, they kind of feel to me a little bit like... And, and so does Phoenix feel this way to me. But they feel a little bit like uh, Mavericks West... Or sorry, uh, Milwaukee West, where you got to hope that Kyrie and Luca can basically be Dame and Giannis come playoff time, where those two guys can essentially replicate the formula of last night, where they dominate enough individually and they can score in crunch time that they can beat the other teams and paper over some of their other stuff. I just don't know why, like with the Bucks, for example, you look at the rest of their team and it's it's awful, right? It's Beasley and Connaughton and. Uh, 38-year-old, 37-year-old Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton on no knees. With the Mavs, I look at their roster and I go, there's enough here that you should be better, especially, again, in this West. I, I don't know why they're not better other than just be, uh, just immediately blaming Luka Doncic and going, oh, it's because he has the ball too much. It's got, I, I can't quite put my finger on it. And I think that this is going to be a big year in terms of unlocking what we're going to see in the future of Luka Doncic and how he's going to be perceived historically. And there's a long, more runway to go on that, but he is starting to enter his prime. Like, these are his primey prime years. So let's see it, Luca. Anyways, quick break. Let's come back. Let's chat with our friend Jackie Redman. I'm going to talk about this NFLPA report. What is this? No, survey is the word. Later in the show. 
Uh, if you're not aware of it, it's, uh, they pulled all of it. Well, everybody could participate, but it ended up being 77% of NFL membership. Uh, it's a lot. That's 1,700 players. They asked them about, yeah, what teams and to grade out all the different parts of their place of business. And some places are, some teams are taking some shame. The Buccaneers issued a, uh, essentially an apology that they're going to try to do better because uh, they were, they, I think had shower bugs was one of the things that was listed against them and that it was just like generally unclean and they charge $90 for daycare and there's all this different stuff that people didn't like about the Buccaneers. And so, yeah, it's, a, it's huge news on social, especially if you're a football fan. But God, I wish every industry had to do this and that they were published the same way. It would be the best getting to see what the staffs would say. Because we've done these surveys before and you'll do them, but then they just go into the ether. They just go into nothing. You never see the results. You never... In fact, I don't think anybody answers them honestly because you think to yourself, well, someone's going to know that this is me, so I'll just five stars for everybody above me. There's no question about that. Anyways, uh, five stars for our next guest, Jackie Redman of the WWE and the Jackie Redman Show. Good morning. <laughs> Wouldn't you kill for that? Not the shower bugs. We're not oh, <laughs> the shower no, bugs. No. Wait, see, talk a little bit more. You might be in a computer. You might be locked in a computer. Not the shower bugs. We have you? Oh, no. Yeah, you're modulated. We gotta, yeah, goodbye, 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 goodbye. See, if I had to review my guys, be like, do they check the phone line before plugging people in? Uh, sometimes, rarely, all the time, never. I would say you guys get a hard Never. <laughs> it's like, this is common practice here. That's the fan produced. Do they check? Mm, no, no, they do not. No, they do not. Anyway, um, if you didn't want that at your work, if you wouldn't want to see that, wouldn't you want to see that like across industries? And that's not like a shot at anywhere. That's a, that's just a point of curiosity of when you would be looking at the landscape of different jobs, of different places that were the same as you, you don't want to hear from like one person because the person you always hear from is the one who gripes anyways, right? It's always the person who's like complaining and you're like, ugh, all right, I'm sure it's really not that bad. I'm sure it's really nothing like the way that you're saying it or that your experience is this way because you're probably looking always for the worst thing. But it would be cool to see something like that across all industries where you'd get that type of participation and be put out in a grade. I want to see it for the hockey teams too. Although I kind of feel like it would be pretty, it's, it's a little bit easier to pick out for the hockey teams. Like, uh, yeah, Arizona Coyotes. I'm guessing that they don't have the facilities that the Toronto Maple Leafs have. Just my hunch. Slight little hunch. All right. The producers have done their jobs. Or so we'll find out. Jackie Redman, let's try this again. Are you still trapped in the computer? Yeah. I hope not. Yeah. Can now, you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we're better. I think that's better. For a second you weren't oh, caught it up. Wonderful. So. What were mm. you what were you killing time with? I heard something about a hunch. I wasn't first of all, <laughs> I never kill time. All right. I don't fill on this show. <laughs> okay. I, Every word that comes out of your mouth is super valuable for sure. Agree. <laughs> agree. <laughs> so there's never been a time where I have to tap dance. It's just organically good stuff. 
Uh, I don't know. All I was saying is that, you know, this, this is super helpful because whenever you hear about another place or another department or whatever, the only time you ever hear about it is it's either someone who, it's usually someone who, you know, bitches about everything, right? And so you get, you go like, oh, what's it like over there? And like, this sucks, this, that, this, that. And like, okay. Or someone doesn't want to talk about it at all. And it's just kind of uh, small talk where they say, oh, it's great. I really like it over there. And you're like, oh, thank you. Because it's just polite society. But getting that, like a real true survey of 77% of your <laughs> workforce, where they grade out every single department with a letter grade, and then you stamp it out publicly, like that would work. You want, you want like company accountability across the board everywhere? Do shame. <laughs> you know, like shame is good. Shame <laughs> is the way. So that's it. I just, this I is- do. Uh, well, let's. We'll have to see if they actually do the survey again based on, oh, on how this happens. Because no. now now they ha- these places have to do something about it. No, but they did. They do, them, they do them every year. But last year, the survey was only 60%. So one of the big stories from this thing is that the Jacksonville Jaguars the year before, they were graded out horrifically. And they had rats. Rats. And people went, yo, there's yes, rats here. Yes, I remember. Yes. And now guess what they did? They got rid of the rats. They got rid of them. So it works. It's just, this is the thing. Again, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers went out publicly on Twitter today and said, like, this is important and valuable feedback and blah, 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 blah. You think they ever would have done that if that was in the shadows? No. It's like you bring it to light. You bring it from the people on the inside and boom, you end up getting an actual accountability from anybody. Again, you could be working in any industry anywhere and you should want something like this. I'm like, honestly, people were like, what are you most envious of with professional athletes? Uh, it's the salary, you know, that's got to be one for everybody, right? The lifestyle, uh, that's great. Uh, sure. But then that's got to be now on the list. <laughs> it's like, that's there. The survey. Uh, yeah, the, the survey. <laughs> I love the survey. The survey is so great. The survey, the survey is on the list. Yeah. But because, I again, it. it weeds out well, the, the gripers, right? Because there's teams that got A's. There's teams that got a lot of positivity. Like, it'd be one thing if everyone was graded out poorly, right? Then you would go, oh, these guys are just, you know, entitled athletes that want everything better, better, better. But no, there's real significant differences between the teams. You're like, like the Cincinnati Bengals don't even do three meals a day other than Wednesdays. That was my favorite stat. They're like, Wednesday is the only day that we're going to feed our professional athletes who put their bodies on the line, three square meals. That's it. All the other days, two. That's it. That's all you're getting, greedy guts. Big, big intermittent fasting committee over big there, time. apparently. To believe they should only eat in certain windows, I guess, except on Wednesdays. Yes. Wednesdays, that's wild. So while NFL Twitter is reading about shower bugs, yep. which I don't even know what that means, um, I, I was know. watching. Mikhail I don't want to know. Mikhail, I watched Mikhail Grabowski posted on Twitter a video, a walk and talk like influencer, almost JD Bunkus esque, actually. When you give mm. your picks. Walking outside saying he's going to the game tonight. He's got some sort of like giveaway that he's doing and telling people to to respond with their seat numbers and stuff. Not the point. Point being, how sick was Mikhail Grabowski? I loved Mikhail Grabowski. Were you a Grabowski guy? Everyone was a Grabowski guy. First of all, there's... there's, I love Mikhail Grabowski. Yeah, there's... So we've now entered into one of my favorite things to do, which is just talking about uh, athletes from my past or bands from my past. It's just, do you want to talk about an old band or an old athlete? And I will indulge you in these topics. Um, 
So there's two things that I think of with Grabowski always. One is just the line, right? The having him, Kuhleman, and Clark MacArthur and how that was the standard at one yeah. point for Leaf fans, which was, oh, my God, an above-average line. That's amazing. <laughs> what, a, what a group. I don't want to see what their actual stats were, but that was a fun line. That was an enjoyable line. I, everybody liked them. Um, but two is he had the rivalry with Montreal. Remember, there was the Belarusian yes. rivalry and he and the Kostitsins hated their each other's guts and they would say stuff to the <laughs> Belarusian press, it, horrific things about one another. And then they, when they would face off, they would get into it. And I loved it when people I love when athletes hate each other and talk trash. It's the best. I hate so much that we've entered the era of just everybody's friends. It's why when you get a throwback player like a Giannis who's not interested in it, it's they immediately skyrocket up the charts of the players I respect the most. Uh, but yeah, the, the Belarusian drama between the Grabowski and the Kostitsins will always be one of my favorites. I, like You can throw me one of those quotes anytime and it will bring me joy. Someone sends you a translated quote yes. from 10 years ago and, or 15 years ago, and you're like, this this brings you right back, right back to J.D. Bunkus of 2010 or whatever year. Guaranteed. Um, I love that. And I, you know what, you bring, you bring up an interesting point in saying all that about hate in the NHL. And I remember a few years ago, Tortorella being like, there's no hate anymore. I miss hate. Mm-hmm. This, this isn't a hateful league anymore. And he took so much flack just for saying that, like that was too much yeah, for him to be sucks. like, I miss the hate. Yeah, I, I, but I'm with Torres and I'm with you. It's why, and listen, I'm not saying everything that this player does, and here I am quantifying what I'm about to say because I'm afraid of people thinking that I'm too mean. But, mm-hmm. like, Nick Cousins, to me, the other night, like, turtling and rising <laughs> from the dead and, like, getting into the scrum, I loved that. Like, I hated it, but I loved it. Like, we mm-hmm. need hockey villains. We need people that we hate. We need players that hate each other. Like, I, I just wish there was more of that. That's why, why do people love this Rempy guy so much? It's because he actually has, you know, something, you know, he's not a hateable player. People love him, but he's this guy that's so old school and there's so little of that now that I think when we get a little bit of it, we just like grab onto it. A hundred percent. I totally agree that sports need villains. I do hate cousins. Uh, this is the, the I, I had this revelation when Kobe retired. I've said this story before, but there was an incredible commercial. Um, when Kobe retired, there was a, it was, it started off as like a piano and it was, I hate you. I hate you. And it was all these different people singing. I hate you to Kobe Bryant, uh, his former rivals, different fan bases. And in that moment I realized, Oh my God, I'm never going to hate anybody the way I hated Kobe Bryant ever again. You know, like this is over. Like I just loathed Kobe and I loved rooting against him and he was so great. And it made me so sad because he made me feel something. (laughs) It's art. And that's the thing with these performers is if they get you to feel a certain way, it's great. It's like, you know, uh, how do I know Skylar was a great performance in Breaking Bad? Because everyone hates her guts. 
people want to skip scenes because they hate Skyler so much in Breaking Bad. That's a really good actor. That is an incredible performance. And so, yes, um, less congruity, less of the exact same all the time. We live very much now in a monoculture and more villains, more sports aid across the board. And no, you don't need to be worried because here's the other thing, too, is that the Internet is such a and Twitter in general, the easiest thing and the best thing to remember with this stuff, especially when you're in kind of this business where you give an opinion and people get so upset is to remember that it's just it's not real life. It's, it's just not. There was this whole thing with Matt Rempe yeah. that's happening right now where every, there's like a real community of, oh my God, this is the, the big, saddest thing that's ever happened and people are championing CTE again and we should take away the individuality of players and we shouldn't even be allowing this and he's just a kid and boo-hoo, boo-hoo and it's like everybody loves it. Everybody's down with it. The kids at practice going, I love my shiner and he's having a smile and he's enjoying his moment of fame and being on the New York freaking Rangers seems like a pretty fine time for him. Uh, He's got to learn how to, you know, fight better and pick his spots better. There's no doubt about it. But overall, it's a great story and it's great for the game and everyone's enjoying it. But there's always going to be the poo-poo crybaby crowd. Like that's just, it's always going to exist now in a reality where everyone gets an opinion. We all thought that the internet was going to make us smarter. At least some of us did. I always thought that as a kid. I went, are you kidding? We're going to have access to everything. Everyone's going to be able to access any information. We're all going to be geniuses. And actually all that happened was everyone just decided that they were going to give an opinion on everything. And we got so much dumber. It's crazy. We got so much dumber so quickly and you can't even believe it in the blink of an eye anyways let's keep it moving all right uh what's uh yeah uh, i was gonna say you've been doing a lot of complaining lately so <laughs> you know you got any gripes that you want? <sighs> yeah it's always like this hotel and what this suite and this oh i didn't get what you didn't reply to my tweet i thought it was funny you were crying about the wi-fi on the oh plane. i didn't see it i i truly i, mm-hmm. I truly truly did not your response mm. to, to my tweet. Yeah. I, the Wi-Fi on the plane thing? Yeah, because there was a, there's a great Louis C.K. joke about he's on, uh, I think it's Conan, and he talks about people who complain about no Wi-Fi on the plane when it's just brand new and, you know, you're on this uh-huh. plane. You've never seen that bit? Oh, I have seen it. Yeah, I have yeah. seen I was it. Thinking, yeah, it it's about how you're, you're on a you're yeah. you're in the clouds flying. Yeah, that settlers <laughs> died. at your disposal, and you're complaining. Yes, that, yeah, it took that settlers lose that. multiple family members going across the country, and here you are complaining about Wi-Fi. Uh, but yes, uh, do you have any gripes? Do you have anything that you want to get off your chest, or you want to go right into the sports take that you've been sitting on? Listen, six hours is a long time without Wi-Fi when you have work to do, mm-hmm. JD. Okay. So I'm gonna stand by my complaint. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on to it. Did I need to tweet about it? Maybe probably not. I'm never. Probably just you never. Me. You never need to tweet about airline you know grants. That's what, not to though? you, that's to everyone. Tweeting about traveling. Uh-huh. T- tweeting about traveling, like anytime I complain about something traveling related, I never get more people mad at me than when I do that. Like yeah, people go you. insane over travel complaints. No, but even just like if I if I talk about like the etiquette of where you should put your luggage on a plane. People get so upset. So upset. Anyway. What's your take on that? If, if you're wanting it. It's the well, easiest the etiquette thing. of there, all time. Well, well, no, it's not. It's not because people don't want be considerate of others. That, I know. This, uh, this we know based know. on the I internet, right? So I hate it. When you're, when you're on a plane, there's mm-hmm. the overhead storage, and yep. then there's the space under your seat, right? Yep. So if you come on with a carry-on bag and then a backpack or a carry-on bag and then another bag, whatever it is, you're allowed one carry-on, one personal item, right? Those are the rules. 
So when you get on, they specifically tell you, please put your larger bag in the overhead bin yes. and your smaller bag under the seat in front of you so that we can accommodate everybody. Of course. People don't want to do that. They throw their jackets up there. They throw oh, their no, small purses up gotta there. you got to go to jail. They throw all this small stuff. And then you, when I tweet about it, people are like, I'm tall. I'm not giving up my foot space for anybody. Or no, if that's <laughs> above my head, it's my space. I can do whatever I want with it. It's like people are so yeah. inconsiderate. Just put your tiny little backpack under the seat in front of you. It's Agreed. not a big deal. Agree. Let uh, someone else have the space. And your jacket, your coat does not go up there. Totally, <laughs> totally sorry. agree. Um, if you're on a train, then you can do that. Okay? Like, if you're on a train, sure. then that's totally fine because everyone has the area at the front of the car where they can throw the huge luggage. So the overhead ends up being very free, very spacious. On a plane... Um, there's actually two things that drive me nuts is one is when they go like, Hey, we're going to check your bag for free. I think that most people assume that they're never going to see that bag again. It's like, no, 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 you're going to get it right away. (laughs) It's, it's going on the plane right now. Like this isn't being checked in some weird way. You know, this isn't going down multiple parts. Like they're dropping it right down there. You're going to see it immediately, but people just, they, they don't want to do it. And they're like, we're going to check the bag for free, but we're going to charge you if the, if the bag doesn't fit and you see everybody going up and putting the bags, you know, their, their luggage in the thing to see if it fits. Um, and I've done it too. I'm just saying, I get it. I, I get it. But ultimately when push comes to shove, I've also, I've put the bag down when they've gone, Hey, there's not enough room. There's not this. Cause it's actually kind of freeing too, not to have, when you've got a bag that's a little bit close 100%. to it and you gotta, you're like, yeah, yeah, just take it, whatever. It's fine. I'll get it two seconds after the flight. But yeah, overhead when it's jammed packed and then you have to see the people like get on the plane with the thing that worked their way. Back. Oh, that's a nightmare. Anyways. I know. I totally agree with you. I saw someone. We just need, we need a decency. We have all these people like on subways and uh, like that check fares. I don't want that. I want a decency inspector and I want that for uh, planes as well. That should be part of the job of the stewardess yes. at this point because we, we've lost it as a society. We used to, I, I don't know, maybe people were better to one another, but we're bad to each other now. Like I talk about this all the time. I take the train into work every morning. People don't take their backpacks off anymore. It's just done. People, if they, and the only time they do is to put it in a seat beside them, even on busy trains. And they, like you'll ask them to move it and they're like, ugh. So what? Yeah, no, it's crazy. It's crazy. Again, we're living a completely, uh, we live in a gutless society now of just people who it's all about your space and your thing and give me my personal space, my personal feelings, my area. I paid for this. That's all people think about is themselves. We need a, a decency officer to be coming through trains and it's like, you got your backpack on and it's rush hour. Fine. Like that's $20. You're like, what? You're like, yeah, that's 20 bucks. Take your backpack off. Hold it in front of you. Duh. Hey, you're on a plane? You try to put your little purse in an overhead bin when we were on the telecom for half an hour before the flight telling everybody that there was limited space? Fine. You know, you're getting a fine. You're paying a ticket for this. Decency officers. I'm into it. I know some people think that sounds like fascist. That sounds like a loss of freedom. But I'm telling you, we need it. We need something to change here because the way we're going is not good. It's really not good. Anyway, all right. Let's get to sports. Let's get to sports. You have my full support. You have my full support. Decency officers, I'm telling you. I'm I'm into it. Uh, Because it can't be me. I'm not... You know, I, I like I had your buddy Brian Boyle on the other day and he was making a plane gripe about the people that run up to the front. This is what we're doing now on the show. It's a lot of plane gripes. But I went, I went, I blame you, Brian, because you're six foot seven and intimidating looking. Like if you say that to that person, they're going to listen. 
You know, I'm 5'10 with a huge nose. No one's afraid of my face. <laughs> you know, they're like, I'm going to hit you in that massive nose and it's going to explode into a billion bits and that's the end of it. I don't have like an intimidating presence or an aura, but those in society that do have it, that's what we need to elect as our uh, decency officers. Anyway, sports. Um, you got a sports take you want to do? I have a question for you, but you can go first. Ooh, I'm curious. Hit me with your question. Do you think that uh, there should be any untouchables on the Leafs this year? Untouchables at the deadline. Yep. So, um, a- AKA, would you move Easton Cowan for a certain price or is he untouchable to you? Because he is getting all the buzz. We just had Jason Buchel on yesterday. He said that he'd be a top six pick in this year's draft. He called him modern day Darcy Tucker. Yeah. Fans love him. He's got the record. That. He's got, got excited about that. Yeah, of course. He's got the record for a point streak for the London freaking Knights. Not exactly, you know, I'm not going to name any other franchises. Uh, but yeah, pretty prestigious to have that streak. And by all accounts, it's because of him. It's not that he is a uh, merchant of that organization. And so the question is, like a lot of Leaf fans, they're, they, you know, they'll pound the table and say, you absolutely can't trade the guy, you can't trade the guy, you can't trade the guy. It's a team that doesn't have a lot of prospects. They basically have a one blue chipper in him. They got another guy who's good in Minton, but it's not, he, he's not a, a loan brings you in a massive deal. He's a throw-in that you'd have to add to in order to get some asset of real significance. You've got two first-round picks in the next three, dra- or sorry, uh, yeah, uh, you've got two, picks in the first two rounds of the of the next three drafts so you have one first this year and then a second I want to say three two years from now so the asset pile is not very deep and you've got this one kid who looks like an absolute stud are you willing to put him on the table for the right kind of trade and I'm not talking like if the Oilers say we'll give you Connor McDavid I'm saying reality trades realistic trades is he on the table for you for this team so I love it. I love this question because it triggers something that I've been thinking about. Um, I would say over the last week, like about midway till the end, the tail end of the streak that I've been thinking about. I it's been a long time since I've been so unsure about what my own expectations are of the Toronto Maple Leafs as a team, right? Like I've had portions of this season where I'm just like. Matthews is scoring 70. They're amazing. Like, I actually think this team can, could maybe, like, go on a, on a surprise run. And then there's other times where I'm like, this team is – this is a bubble team. This is, not, uh, this is not a contending team, right? I'm, like, back and forth about what my expectations are. But I'm also very unsure about the competition around the Toronto Maple Leafs and how strong the league is this year. And so when I think about the East – specifically and what it's going to take to get to a cup final. And it's feeling like there are some teams around the Leafs that also have major flaws, flaws as big as the Leafs have. I'm like, wait a second. If the Leafs can get out of the first round, if they can, if they can find something and maybe tap into some of what they discovered in, in their depth players during the streak, maybe they can go on a run because the league isn't that strong. You know, they're, the, the playoffs, teams that are making it, they all have major holes to fill and they're not all going to fill them at the deadline. So this is my very long way of just saying, I kind of think there shouldn't be any untouchables at the deadline because I think that this year is so, um, I don't know if there's so much parity amongst playoff teams. I don't know if that's the right word for it, but it just feels like every playoff team is beatable. 
like like realistically beatable over mm-hmm. a seven game series if the Leafs and, and I think every team is this way if you know if the Boston Bruins can get XYZ yeah they can go on a deep run if mm-hmm. they can get this out of this player and this out of this player like you know what Detroit the Detroit Red Wings could be this year's like Cinderella squad that, that wins a couple rounds you know mm-hmm. that we didn't see coming like I, I can see that for every single team and so for me I think you have to be willing to go for it with the Toronto Maple Leafs and do whatever you can to make them better. If there's a legitimate offer on the table that will make you more competitive, then I think you have to, you have to at least be willing to talk about it and consider it and consider moving pieces because this team isn't getting this the core of this team, excuse me, is not getting younger. Mm-hmm. So you got to strike while the iron's hot because you don't know what is going to happen in the next few years um, under with Austin Matthews still on the team and et cetera, et cetera. So like, I, like I heard someone legitimately telling me yesterday, someone in hockey. And I honestly, I, I still don't know if they're messing with me or not, but about the idea that like Sidney Crosby could actually legitimately be moved like legitimately. Not this and year. I'm like, what? You're messing with me. You're messing with me that he's never leaving the Penguins. Like that's never, mm. ever happening. I'm a believer of that. Mm. But now, I don't know. I feel like he could he could not be wearing a penguin sweater sooner than we think. So I guess I'm rambling here. But, yeah, I, I don't think there should be any untouchables. I think the Maple Leafs have to try to figure out a way to win because if we've learned anything with this team, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know who's going to stay, who's going to go when their time comes to make their own decisions, right? I mean, I saw you tweeting about this the other day. Like, we all thought, oh, my gosh, Luke Shen's going to come back. He's going to sign a team-friendly deal. He wants to be a Leaf. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen. So, we don't – We all we uh, – what is the character in Ted Lasso, um, the angry the angry guy that retires and then helps – That show is the dreadful. Says, I don't know. You hate it. You don't like it. Okay, the well, there's a The first season was good. We needed it says, in the pandemic. And then from that point forward, it was like, oh, my God, this is – the the actual cringiest show of all time. But anyways, go on. The, the, okay. the well, he says at one point as an analyst on the broadcast that covers the league, he says, all we know is that we don't know. And uh-huh. I think that that applies when you're talking about the future and what's going to happen with the team. So yeah, I, I, I don't think there should be any untouchables. So We're trying to win now. So here's where I'm at with it. Um, should you have the conversations? Absolutely. Uh, do I completely agree with you that there are no great teams this year or certainly like the Leafs are not when they, when they're playing their best as they're as good as any team. I actually think that in the Western conference specifically, like I like the trade Dallas did because I look at those teams out West and I don't love any of them. Like the Oilers have normalized the golden Knights. I know they're banged up and they've got that blue line and I know come playoff time, they're going to be a nasty out, but I don't think that they're like some indestructible force that is just a lock to be a nightmare to play against. You've seen what the Canucks have gone through recently and the drama and the dressing room, which maybe not might not even be a thing. But yeah, just the, the Canucks are in year one of being competitive. I don't trust them. Um, stars are good. I don't think great. I think the Avs are really scary. They're also flawed. Like, you know, Jets, same thing. There's just not a team that I think is incredible, amazing, unbelievable. I think they're all good. Same thing with the East, except I do think that the Panthers would present a really, really difficult matchup for the Leafs. Like we saw the way it went last year, but we also know just yeah. the, the style in which they play might be difficult for Toronto. Um, 
I agree with you in principle that this is a time to try and be aggressive. I just think the Leafs are in a really tough place, which is they don't have much to give. And the team is all right. To me, it's like you're probably better off bringing in a Labushkin type on the cheap and trying that out with Morgan Riley rather than being in a situation where you overpay for a rental player that isn't perfect and not much better. That being said, to me, if there was a player on the market that was under contract and who was a legitimate star or impact player, then I would be trying to package all of those pieces together, including an Easton Cowan type to acquire them. What I would not be doing and what I would not be entertaining if I was the Leafs is the type of trade that uh, someone pitched to me yesterday where they went, so you're telling me that if... Uh, that you got offered, um, who was it? I, I can go back and read the text, but it was, oh yeah, it was a Yanni Gord Alexiak package and Easton Cowan is the main piece going out. I was like, no, I'm not trading for a 32-year-old Yanni Gord who has nine goals this season or whatever. And Alexiak, who is a good defenseman, not a great defenseman, multiple teams, kind of stiff. Uh, yeah, someone who just stra- snapped the 33-game point streak or point list streak uh, for your top tier, top end asset. What I would be willing to entertain him in a package for is if a stud player became available that you go, oh my God, you could get that guy on that term. Okay, then put Easton Cowan's name as a part of a trade package to acquire them. That's the only way that I'd be moving him. Yeah, I think too, I think an important question is also like how much better can the Leafs get at the deadline realistically? How like if you were to look at it from a percentage standpoint, like how how much more competitive realistically can Toronto based on what's out there and what they have or do not have to offer in trade packages, how much better can they actually get? And if you can't actually improve your team significantly, then yeah, maybe you shouldn't be giving up your best prospect in this Cowan kid, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think like this trade market is necessarily, you know, a, 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 yeah, it's not, it's not a life altering deadline where you're like, man, if we get this player, like look out, like that's it. Our team is, is miraculously fixed. Like the Leafs can make a couple of nice additions. Maybe they do get, you know, a Labushkin type player and, and they address their back ends that way. But like, you're not, you're, you're not going to, fix all of the holes or all of the problems that the Toronto Maple Leafs have. It's going to be a flawed roster post deadline. No matter what happens, there will still be flaws. And so how do you tap into, how do the Leafs tap into whatever juju they had during that win streak that made them appear to be capable of being a more complete team. Because I think the reason we love that streak so much, I mean, obviously Austin Matthews scoring a million goals (laughs) and having this prolific season is unreal. And we love to watch it. But what I loved about the streak was seeing the team become more complete. My, one of my favorite guests that you regularly have on is Christopher Stieg. And he has been beating this drum for what feels like forever is finding ways to make people around Matthews Marner, Tavares and Nylander feel important and feel like they're contributing. And we started to see a lot of that during the streak. And I don't know if Sheldon Keith fell into that. Maybe he fell into some of it. Maybe some of it was, you know, him, you know, starting to figure some things out with some players, but regardless of, of how they started to get there, they need to, they need to keep doing that. They need to figure out how to make this team feel 
a little bit more complete for us that are watching, but also for the guys that are in that room. Like, I don't think Bertuzzi's ever seen this light and this happy all season. It helps when you score, you know, a hat trick. But I do think that there is something to feeling important. And I think that Versteeg obviously knows from experience how far that can go for a team. And if they can find ways to do that with the bottom of their lineup and, and figure out ways to make the back end work. Like this is what Keith is, is working with. So he's got to try to find a way. And I think I'm hopeful that, um, they started to find elements of that during the win streak. I I don't like that. They're playing the coyotes tonight though. I'll throw that out there right now. Mm. They need to, I think they need to thump the coyotes. No, they need to thump the coyotes. Yeah. They got a thumb. They've lost 13 in a row. They that's can't lose to the Coyotes, but I kind of, I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting game. No, but that's, you know what that is? That's, uh, that's just, I, I, was, I joked about this the other night on Leafs talk when they started to blow the lead uh, against Vegas or so, uh, where you go. Yeah, this is Leaf fan trauma where as soon as something bad is lurking, you, you start to prepare yourself by speaking it out loud, going, I, I think something bad could happen. And everyone's like, I also think a bad thing could happen. <laughs> and everybody yells it out loud like this is the preventative measure to try to prevent, uh, you know, uh, more heartache and more hurt or more embarrassment. Uh, like if another fan base uh, says, oh, you guys are losers. We're like, we're already calling ourselves losers, okay? Like, you don't need to, you don't need to call us losers anymore. We're, we're already doing it over here just fine. We've been saying it. We said it even before you that we were going to lose the Arizona game. So I think this is just trauma. This is, uh, yeah, that's, it's, a, it's a trauma Probably. Response. You're probably but right. I'm with you about the, the feeling involved. Like, that's the biggest thing for me about this team is I, I worried when they put the group together whether or not it was going to be mercenary team that when the chips were down, uh, and guys had contracts on the line and weren't tied in long term and didn't have bigger roles and knew that everything was going to fall in the top four, top five. It's just easier to say the top four than top five. I don't know why. Uh, it's like core four rolls off the tongue, yeah. core five, five guys. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Um, but no, you see, it's like if you work in any <laughs> industry, five. any industry, you should know that. Like you got, you got the new guy, right? And they're usually, I, well, sometimes you get the annoying new guy who tries to do too much early. Um, you know, uh, who like thinks they're the man at something, right? Like you go to, and it's the worst in labor uh, because it's like someone could get hurt. But you, when you see someone grow on the job and they start to get like a little bit more confidence and like they're more involved, like I have it with my producer, Armin. He's just like, you know, he came into the industry. How many years have you been doing this now? One, two, one and a half, two. So he's in year two now of doing this job. And when he first came on the show, Armin's going to hate this, but it was like, I could tell he was nervous about a lot, you know, like he was like, Oh, this looks like, I how do we do this? How do we do that? And I was like, you know, he trash talks me every day. <laughs> it's like, he's very comfortable. Uh, he's very comfortable and like, he's way better at the job, like infinitely better. And so it's just like those two things, like the confidence in the work starts to breed the better play, like all of it. And he's way more involved. It's everything. It's a day to day thing. So I don't know how people can't understand that for a professional hockey player too. I just, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not all into the sense like it was last year where the team felt like there was this really urgent opportunity for them to get things done. And so trading multiple first round picks, uh, basically putting all of the assets on the table to acquire Ryan O'Reilly and McCabe and all these rentals, it felt okay. This year to me is you've pilfered the, the treasure trove enough. And granted, it's not the same group, yeah. but there's so little there that you you really need to make sure that the the swing you take is the right swing. You can no longer be moving those top-tier assets for depth guys that you're getting another team to take a hit on the salary 
or for, you know, mediocre sort of kind of uptick moves. It, it needs to be a splash. It really does. It really needs to be that. Um, last thing for me, or do you have another topic that you want to do? Or I have one last one. Well, I was just going to ask you a follow-up question on, sure. on what we've been talking about. Because I think we've, we've hit, I mean, I feel like you and I always talk kind of bigger picture with this team when we talk, but mm-hmm. you know, did, did the, did the streak change your opinion of yes. what the Leafs are capable of? hundred percent because of that, buy, because of that group buy-in. Okay. Yeah. Because of the buy-in Yeah, where to me, there were, there were two really important developments of that. Well, three, one is that you got an extended look at Samsonov looking normal and finding his groove. And you're always going to be a little uncomfortable. Like he had a, he had a game where he let in a bunch uh, against Vegas the other night. So you need to see him perform. Yeah. Uh, you need, you need to see him have another good game, but at least he's back and you're reminded that this is a guy who played well in the playoffs, outplayed Vasilevsky, and you've got another goaltender. You're not just completely leaning on a totally unproven kid who, despite playing well this season, has a really difficult track record with his health and also hasn't proven yet to be a big game player, which Samsonov now has given that he's won a playoff series. Two, and this is in reverse order actually, two is that the the Riley suspension didn't reveal to me that Riley's not an important part of this team. Um, we're always going to look at him when he makes the mistake pinching or he gets beat uh, with gap control and, you know, as a night where like he did the other night where it's a dash four. He's a he's an integral cog of the team. But what they really figured out is they, they got to have Brody on his natural side and that yeah. they, they there's a real way of not having the traditional stud top pairing that's on the ice for every situation, but that they could really, there's a real potential for three solid pairs. Nice. And then the, the most important one to me was the, the group really seemed to coalesce, come together and them finding this Domi line, which I, you know, I just, you mentioned for he was on before you today. It's tough to envision. Yeah. It's tough to envision Max Domi being a second line center in meaningful spots, but to me it's working. And there's like an attitude amongst those three guys. Like, I don't think it's a coincidence that William Nylander was like throwing the body around a little bit after the whistle since he's been playing with these two or that uh, Domi and Bertuzzi seem to have a, a real kinship between them and that the two have played with more energy. And I need to see that continue. Like, Again, it's it's a it's an it's an easy boat to rock in Toronto when things start to go poorly. But as of right now, I at least saw the proof of concept with the team, which is the stars are incredible. There's three lines. The D pairings make more sense. They're getting enough saves, and the power play is awesome. And to me, when I saw all that put together over a significant stretch where they needed to come together as a group, I went, yeah, I could see it. I could I could see playoff success. I'm not counting on it because you, of the Leafs, you, but I could see it. <laughs> there's that trauma again no like i i you could not have said it better like the whole proof of concept thing and like you know things get hard or tough real quick in toronto when things start going wrong and so now to me because i'm with you i believe in i believe they found a few things during that streak and if they can hold on to those things and nurture them and grow them then maybe this can can become a legitimate like bonded group that that is figuring out how to win together as a whole and, and with every player contributing in some capacity, but what happens when the going gets tough because old habits die hard, right? What happens when, you know, I, and it's, it's hard, right? Because regular seasons are hard to quantify. It's hard to quantify their importance. And I know they're always trying to win, 
But when they get into a series and they, you know, lose the first game or, you know, they're, they're down to one in a series and, and they're in game four and they're losing that game. Like, what do they do? What, do, what does the coaching staff do? What changes do they make? Who do they put their trust in? Or does the trust go out the window and we're back to just Matthews and Marner, Matthews and Marner, Matthews and Marner. I think that's an important question too, as we get into some of the more uh, important games, which are still a ways away, obviously. But I, I think, too, like, do old habits die hard? I don't know. Well, well, they do. Because, again, tonight they're going back to Riley and Brody. And at this point, fans are like, we don't there need to see it anymore. We know it doesn't work. Got to try something else, Brody. <laughs> so, uh, And granted, it's because they've got one guy out with mono and another guy injured uh, in Lilligren. But th- I think that's even uh, part of the point is if you go on a deep playoff run, there's a likelihood that someone gets hurt. And you can't be one injury away from having yeah. six left shot D and putting Morgan Riley back with TJ Brody where, yeah, I think they were a dash four the other night and it just looked clunky and it's awkward and it's, it's, yeah. it's not getting the bo- the best out of both players. And we, we have a better sample of, of that being true now. Uh, Jackie Redmond, again, the Jackie Redmond show, of course, of WWE. Thanks for making time as always. You're the best. Thanks. Appreciate you. See ya. Good luck on those flights. Etiquette officer. The problem is that 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 that's gonna. It, it sounds good in practice, but you just know the etiquette officer. Like, he, it's gonna abuse the power immediately. <laughs> it's just gonna be a problem. You're gonna go, trust me. I got these etiquette officers, and then 35 minutes later, uh, yeah, it's not. It's gonna be a nightmare, national disgrace. I don't have all the answers. I really don't. All right, quick break. Hit what we missed. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Tomorrow we have Don LaGreca and Ramona Shelburne. Very excited for those. So subscribe to the podcast, leave five stars, do those things. So we see a dip on Fridays. I won't see the dip on Fridays anymore. Get it together. You should be listening to this podcast over the weekend even more so. Friday should be the biggest show. You just got to save it. Anyways. What did we miss? Uh, why don't we start off with the new PWHL format? I love this so much. Or we could go... No, PWHL format. Okay, so uh, there's four teams in the postseason, right, for the PWHL? That's how it's going to work. And now the one seed, they released their format. The one seed gets to pick between the three and the four. It's not just set one versus four, two versus three. Exactly. And... I have wanted this in every sport. This has been a long pitched around idea, right? This isn't a novel one. This is like done this forever with how to spice up postseason matchups. What should it look like? How should it be? And being able to have a televised event, I've never really understood why teams wouldn't want to do it other than the fact that it's kind of like the other leagues are pretty cowardly. And kudos to this league. They're new and they've decided we're going to try and do things differently and we're going to try to do things the way that will get us more attention, more eyeballs, more viewership, more sponsors, more discussion around the league. And guess what? It's working because everyone's going to talk about it today. I've seen it all over every single show, and it's going to be over every single show. It's awesome. It's awesome. Like, first of all, if I was the one seed, you 100%, unless there is a vast discrepancy between three and four, you got to pick three. Because the head game of that, of being like, we want you, you're three. Oh, yeah, that's nice. We're rolling with you. Oh, that's... That's hot. I love that move. That is the move to do. Anyways, uh, 
PWHL hasn't been perfect. Um, I still think that the sweaters were a bit of a miss. I don't think that they have the their version of the cup named yet. There's been some clunkiness to the league. Like, there just has been. And a lot of people don't want to say it. They get torched on the internet for some of it. The actual gameplay and the fans that go have been awesome. It looks great on television. They nailed this one, though. This one is a 10 out of 10, no question, no brainer home run for them. And yeah, I, I just think the the rate in which this is going, uh, I, I think you're going to be seeing this league for a very, very long time. I, I don't think that this one's going to be going the way of the CWHL or it's going to fizzle out or it's going to fade. I think that, yeah, that just running things in a smarter way. Hopefully, I, again, I know everyone wants expansion and all the other things. I would just say, I would, I would rather see that when you know that your depth of player is going to be deeper and that you can be assured that there's going to be a bunch of really good teams and that you've got the arenas and the spaces for them. Because, yeah, here in Toronto and another, like Toronto already, it's, it's too small for Mattamy. And they're kind of in a pickle with what they're going to do moving forward. But it's great. It's a big win for that league. Love, love that move. What's next? LeBron was on an episode of The Shop where he's at the barbershop to un- uninterrupted. Who the hell is watching The Shop? Like, who's clipping <laughs> these shows for us? Like, what sicko is watching The Shop? I don't know. I have no idea, to be honest. Like, have you ever it. met someone who's watched a full episode of The Shop? No. Genuinely, no. Not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because it's probably Le Cap for, like, Dude, 40% it's just, of it's just, it. <laughs> it's just LeBron gassing himself up in front of a couple of celebrities who... He also gasses up and then they gas themselves up. Like it's just, it's, it's whatever. He it's, doesn't talk big picture, like serious no, stuff. No, it's just, so. yeah, that's what I mean. I just love that it's the idea is that it's the shop that they wanted to have it like, this is where the real conversations happen. And then none of the conversations <laughs> resemble anything like a normal human to human interaction ever. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, what, what was this story? He was revealing that two strangers crashed his wedding. So apparently he saw two strangers in there. He didn't know who they were. They heard him call a celebrity who he didn't want to mention or expose uh, by like their real name. And then everyone's like, and then that celebrity went up to LeBron. He's like, yo, you know, these cats. And basically he's like, no, I have no idea who they are. And then they went and approached the strangers and the strangers said, yeah, yeah, we're with this guy. And then whatever. They basically found out. That's how they found out that. These two were crashing the wedding. They had two plates, apparently, as well. Mm. Two full plates of mm-hmm. LeBron's finest crab. <laughs> so, yeah, I was going to ask you, whose wedding would you crash if you could crash anybody's wedding? It could be past or, first like, all, future coming First out. of all, I don't trust anything LeBron says about storytelling. And this, this to me is, I, like, this to me is LeBron has someone on staff that just makes stories for him. Wouldn't it be funny if you went on the shop and you said that people crashed your wedding and then you were like, who are these crazy people eating all our food? Like, I would imagine that getting into LeBron's wedding would not be the easiest of places to garner access to. Um, <laughs> I don't think that you could just mosey on in and be unnoticed by security and that it would be like, ha, 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 what a funny story. So I think this is Cap. This is LeCap. Uh, I don't trust the story whatsoever. In terms of whose wedding I would crash, I don't know. I I don't think I would be a good wedding crasher in general because, like, I would want to go to a wedding where I wouldn't stand out at all. So, like, the bigger the celebrity wedding, the better because I, I wouldn't... 
That, that would be a nightmare. I'm, I'm way too anxious of a person to be in that role and just be cool with it and enjoy it. I have friends I'm envious of, and I think we're all envious of these people where it's like they can just enter those situations and be like, Shh, don't worry, we'll have fun, we'll have fun with it. I'm never going to have fun with it. I would just be anxious being like, we're going to get caught, we're going to get in trouble. <laughs> anyway, subscribe to the podcast. We'll see you tomorrow.